Welcome to the Family Beacon Podcast from Minnesota Family Council with hosts Grace Evans and Moses Bratrude. Stay informed on the top stories on life, family, and religious freedom. Get the facts, stand for truth. Hello and welcome back to the Family Beacon Podcast. I'm Grace Evans. I'm here with Moses Bradtrude. Today we're going to be talking about the Virginia governor's election, the efforts to defund the police in Minneapolis and the ballot, as well as uh, the oral arguments concerning the Texas abortion law and New Life Family Services Gala, a gala that I recently attended. Moses, why don't you go ahead and kick us off with our first story of the day? Yeah, so... It's great to be back behind the microphone after a week off, and I just want to say, you know, it is so wonderful uh, to have the election results that we saw uh, we saw this week. Mm-hmm. It is, it is honestly like it. I I was I was texting with with folks about the Minneapolis police referendum yeah. last night, and I just said this is a god thing. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll I'll back up. Uh, Minneapolis voters rejected. Uh, the effort to defund the police department uh, by 56 to 44 yep. percent. Uh, this is huge. So uh, as a reminder, a little bit, of, we talked about this a few weeks ago uh, when Minneapolis, wa- when the, as the election approached, and this would have removed the requirement that the city fund the police department. Mm-hmm. So the city has a constitution, it's called the charter, and the charter says you have to have a police department and you have to fund it at a certain level. So this would have removed that requirement and the the uh, and would have created a new Department of Public Safety, which would have possibly, <laughs> possibly, employed law enforcement officers. And the yeah. fact that they could they would never say that it will. It's just that possibility. Yeah, yeah. And, so, and like we've talked about before, I think we should just recap like why we oppose that. Why we oppose defunding? The yeah, police. yeah. So so let me let me just give you oh, some yeah, yeah. stats on, sure. on Minneapolis this year. Um, 503 people have been injured by gun fu- gunfire so far, uh, increase of 26% over last year, which was itself a record-breaking year. Homicides are up 16%, That's robberies crazy. up 5%, aggravated assaults are up. Um, 10 people have been killed by machine guns, which is unprecedented. Wow. Yeah. And I didn't even know that was the people had machine guns in Minneapolis. That's crazy. Yeah, 935 uh, machine gun rounds have been fired, according to the ShotSpotter system, which basically is the system of mics around the city that pick up gunfire. And so that was only five uh, activations of act- uh, of automatic weapons wow. last year by this time. 935 this year. And carjackings are also up 35% and yeah, gunshots carjackings up 28%. Are way, yeah. And car- carjackings are, what did you say? The carjackings are way up. Yeah, it is yeah, absolutely it's crazy. crazy. I'm scared for my car, even though it's not nice. Yeah, well, you know, actually, <laughs> race drives a Honda Civic and 2005, thieves baby. target Hondas. Um, and not to they make do? You, yeah, they do. <gasps> oh, shoot. Yeah, yeah, they target Because I have Hondas. a junkie car on purpose because, like, I was going to buy a new car, a nice one, but I'm keeping my not-so-nice one until I move out of the city after college. Uh, that's probably smart, but um, maybe do things to make it more junky. Like, if you need me to add some dents or something, I'd be... There's already a dent, but if you want to ram into it, I mean, yeah, I no, won't condone I could, that. We, but... could do, we could do the demolition derby and uh-huh. then send Grace back out of that car. <laughs> Honestly, I feel like having them be junky wouldn't really 
deter them because junky cars get get stolen all the time. It's kind of crazy. They just want a working car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is probably why Hondas are the target. No, absolutely right. So there's a crime wave. Uh, Lock your cars in your houses, everybody. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, that's that's just those are just the most recent events. And I think we can say that the crime wave is the most pressing reason why voters did not want to reject Mm -hmm. why, why voters did not want to defund the police department. But if we go, of course, if we go back. The Minneapolis Police Department has a checkered record when it comes to certain issues like use of force, notably, of course, in the case of uh, the death of George Floyd um, and the ensuing unrest. So we're talking about a department that has serious issues. Mm -hmm. And right now we're even uh, we have 20 percent of the Minneapolis police force is uh, has begun the process of filing disability claims. Now, people who hate the Minneapolis Police Department and some people who are more just neutral observers say that this is what kind of a sick out. So officers are kind of protesting their their treatment by the city, by just not showing up to work and by by and by claiming to have PTSD. And I'm not saying I'm not saying that they're lying. I'm just saying that that's what people are saying okay. is happening. So so like what well, we're obviously seeing, uh, we obviously have a lot of work to be done. Mm-hmm. Minneapolis has a trust problem with its police. Oh, I think definitely. That's clear, and uh, we can't look at the situation and objectively and say, oh, the Minneapolis Police Department is perfect. Right. So the question is, I think, uh, can can the mayor, um, Mayor Fry, uh, is, uh, as we record this, he's ahead in uh, in the race to uh, in the race to uh, to win reelection. But mm-hmm. there but it's not over yet. Um, and the police chief, Madaria Arredondo, uh, can they rebuild a police force that can take back control of the streets? And win back the trust of residents. And I think, you know, for those of you who aren't in Minneapolis, this is not just a Minneapolis issue. I mean, I live across the river in St. Paul, and I just, my wife and I just breathe a sigh of relief. Oh, my wife said something really funny. Did she? I told her that uh, Minneapolis had uh, had failed to defund the police, and she said, whew, dodged a bullet, literally. <laughs> Oh my goodness! <laughs> that was funny. Wow, yeah. So, like, like we've said before on the podcast, though Moses and I are all for reform. We acknowledge that there are systems that have corrupt members in them. Every system has corrupt members because we live in a fallen world. So, we're all for reform where it's necessary. What we're not for is deconstruction. Whenever Christians or just people in general start trying to deconstruct things, whether that's American history or race or Christianity, it's going to lead to serious problems. Right. So, we're all for reform. We just don't support actually replacing the entire um, police force with public a public health department because that would drastically affect minority neighborhoods where crime is very high and they can't afford to hire uh, private security so we or don't move out or move out so we don't we don't support that by any means because like we've talked about um, before I've even shared my personal testimony of living in the city and how unsafe it is it just it's there is a crime wave we've noted that already it would be ridiculous to abolish the police during a crime wave it'd be ridiculous no matter what. Um, but yeah, we do not support that, and we're very happy that it didn't pass. Yes, it was kind of scary how close it was, though. I didn't expect it to be that close, but I think you did. Well, I did. Yeah, the polling before before the race, the Star Tribune conducted a poll in late September, and it actually showed a majority were in favor. That's crazy. Fifty one percent were in favor of uh, abolishing the police, and and so this result in that sense is actually better than I expected because it was fifty six percent opposed to wow. defunding the police. So that's good. And I think Grace Grace really hit the nail on the head. And so I want to close out this segment with an appeal to my progressive friends. 
Um, <laughs> as we have discussed, Grace brought it up just now, we've brought this up in the past, minority residents of Minneapolis and mm-hmm. of any city are vastly more likely to be the victims of crime. They are the most likely to have their quality of life negatively impacted. Uh, I see people online uh, talking about hearing gunshots, talking about having their kids sleep on the floor so that wow. they will be out of uh, out of the range of gunfire that's that's coming around. We tragically have had several children die in North Minneapolis uh, from from shootings this that's year. That's so sad. And and it's just it's just insane. And and so uh, progressives like to say they like to claim that they have the interests of uh, of our minority population, Black, Indigenous, people of color, at heart. And I would say to them that if that's true, then fixing public safety, working with, not against the police, to fix public safety should be something that progressives want to do, not something that they're dragged to do kicking and screaming. So that's my thought on that. Now, some more national news with maybe even bigger implications for uh, our political landscape uh, going forward this year is the Virginia governor's race. Yeah. So recently, uh, well, last night, actually, the race was called for Republican Glenn Youngkin, which is crazy because it was a neck and neck race between him and a Democrat. Very different agendas, actually opposite on the political spectrum. Both have very... Uh, very good websites, honestly, campaign websites. Like you can clearly see what they're arguing for, what they're advocating for. You know, one's very pro-life, one's very uh, not pro-life, one's very pro-critical so race theory. So mentions uh, pro-life specifically on his mm-hmm. website. Um, not specifically on his website. I'm not sure, but he is he is explicitly pro-life. Excellent. Yeah, and then and then the uh, the Dem- Democratic candidate is explicitly uh, anti-life, and it is huge because a Republican had. No Republican has won a statewide race in the state of Virginia since 2009. Wow! So it really is a legendary moment, if you will, and it also sets a precedent for the Biden or the new presidential election and whether Biden's going to be reelected. So it really is a win, and I didn't expect it to be called this way, honestly. No, yeah, it was. Um, I, I had been following the race a little bit using the website 538, mm-hmm. which tracks uh, polls and like puts them all together into an average of different polls. And uh, McAuliffe, uh, the Democrat uh, and former governor of Virginia, he was consistently ahead in the polls, going up through really up until just a week ago or even up until the day of. And uh, it's interesting. It's interesting, Grace, what really tightened the race. Yeah. Uh, So there has been a a lot of controversy uh, in Virginia about education. And some of that has been about critical race theory, which we've discussed on the podcast and, uh, and some of that has also been about a, a sexual assault case in Loudoun County in Northern Virginia. And um, the, most of you have probably heard about this. Uh, it involves a, a student who was, uh, who identified, as far as we can tell, as identified as gender fluid. And uh, the, the, the male student was wearing a skirt and the uh, sexual assault took place in the women's restroom. And then, uh, then that student was uh, just moved to another school. They were mm. not immediately arrested. That's crazy. He was not immediately arrested. And then he committed another uh, sexual assault. And so parents were, as you can imagine, Outraged. horrified. Right. And this, the superintendent of the schools, or was it the head of the school board, one of the two got up in a school board meeting and actually lied, straight up lied, and oh. said that he wasn't aware what? of any sexual assaults. 
Uh, this is in Virginia. This is saying? in Loudoun County, Virginia. Wow. And wow. and so this is this is huge. And and parents in Loudoun County were already up in arms over critical race theory. And then this happened in their schools, and it, it just became so clear that oh, and then you add that to the mask mandates and right everything. Education became a huge issue in uh, in the Virginia governor's election and. Elect, uh, education is not always an issue that favors uh, conservative candidates because conservative right. candidates are not always the ones advocating for tons of funding for schools and uh, all sorts of things like that. But Glenn Youngkin says that he will pass the biggest education budget in Virginia history. Yeah. Hopefully this, that money will go to good ends and not just subsidizing bad teachers and things like that. This is but, straight from his website. He says, uh, we will restore our high standards for schools and our students ban critical race theory, invest in our teachers and schools, and empower parents with real choices. It's there great. There we go. I think it's Love great it. that in a blue state like Virginia, he's coming out and saying, "I know." Ban critical race theory, and I, I have to say, we're we're living in a we're living in a bit of a uh, Alice in Wonderland moment because every article I've seen about this yeah. has said that critical race theory is not being taught in Virginia schools. Where I have seen mm-hmm. a slide deck from. The Virginia Department of Education, from when Terry McAuliffe was governor, specifically advocating that critical race theory be taught in Virginia schools. Crazy. Everyone Crazy. knows that it's being taught in Virginia schools. The only the only question is whether it's being taught under that name, which it's usually not, or whether it's being taught under various other names through various other curricula that all are legitimately can legitimately be considered critical race theory. So I just think it's crazy yeah. that we have a Republican winning in Virginia, period. It is and crazy. And a Republican winning on the issue of education. Yeah, and I want to talk just also briefly about the Attorney General yeah. and that race, because I think that ties into it, just about wins and how we can be celebrating you know, right now in culture, because sometimes it can seem like all the odds are against us um, and that the progressives are winning and that the you know, anti-Christian movement is winning, but it's not. It's not true. Uh, so recently, the incumbent attorney general was defeated, who is a Democrat, was defeated by a Republican who is a Christian, a mother, uh, an immigrant, and she's the first black woman to win a statewide election in Virginia. She was elected oh, to man. lieutenant governor. That's excellent. Right. So, yeah, there's just a big win for Virginia yeah. uh, recently, and Moses and I are very excited. We're just excited, honestly, that both elections turned out in the best interest of the general public. I was not expecting both to go over so well, so yeah. definitely thankful for that. Yeah, and I think you always have in off-year elections, it's always a referendum on mm-hmm. on, on the president. And, right. and we're going to see that in 2022 specifically. Uh, generally, the party that controls the presidency loses ground in, uh, the, in the midterm elections. And oftentimes in off-year elections, like like what we saw, but this is truly the bottom is yeah. really falling out. Not only for Virginia to elect a Republican governor when it's been trending left for decades, right? But for uh, a Republican in New Jersey uh-huh. to get within less than one percentage point as we record this of and that's just that's just insane. Virginia I think New Jersey hasn't had a Republican governor since 1977. Wow, that's and so very long. <laughs> the Democrat there will probably prevail based on where the uncounted votes are, but the but that's just crazy and that and and you know, if I'm if I'm President Biden and his administration right now, I'm scared because because we're mm-hmm. we're we're clearly seeing a groundswell of opposition to for example, what was originally going to be a $3.5 trillion spending wow. bill. 
insane just digging us into more national debt yeah and more and, and more it's yeah. just like oh why don't we throw more cash at that throw more cash at that it's yeah. crazy and people are disappointed yeah. that the that the with vaccine mandates people are disappointed that the vaccines uh that the, the, the those rules are just being tightened and tightened mm-hmm. even as Unfortunately, I think this is bad. Unfortunately, as the vaccine shows itself to be less effective at preventing infection than we we hoped it would be initially. Yeah. So, so it's just, I, yeah. I do just want to state something, too, because I know that this segment of the podcast could seem very partisan. And I just want to quickly talk about that because Moses and I, well, MFC and Moses and myself are not specifically uh, affiliated with a certain party. I know that we talk a lot lot about the policies that that the progressives are trying to implement and how we stand against them. However, Moses and I aren't opposing policies simply because they're tied to a specific political party. Moses and I actually disagree on a variety of topics. Uh, I specifically don't align with a a certain party, honestly, because Mm -hmm. I disagree with some things that the Republican Party does, actually a lot of things. And so I am not a partisan voter, honestly, and neither neither is Minnesota Family Council partisan. It's nonpartisan. And so when we're talking about all these issues, what we're trying to talk about is the issue, not the actual the actual party that's backing it. And so that's I wanted really to make important. that clear. Yeah, that's really important. Like, you know, full disclosure, I usually mm-hmm. vote third party in um yeah. in presidential elections. And 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 yet uh, and yet we're seeing we're seeing a situation where mm-hmm. on issues like life and religious freedom it does seem like republicans are often the only choice and that that's not an endorsement of them we uh, we 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 we're not we're not endorsing it i mean the, the elections are over we just right. we, we have another year now before the 2022 midterms but we really root for organizations like democrats for life absolutely and, democrats and, for life is amazing yeah who yeah. who are trying to take back that party mm-hmm. so that uh, social conservatives like people who believe in life and uh, religious freedom and family, the people that we represent who, who aren't beholden to any party, that those people um, that those people uh, have two parties to choose from. Right. And I was talking last week to one of one of our Minnesota state representatives and um, and he he's elected in a, in a rural area mm-hmm. that's just it was Democratic farmers for generations wow. and he was the first republican to to win this seat in in a very 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 long time because wow. in minnesota farmers voted democrat that mm-hmm. was the that was the consensus that was the thing I forget the reason that what that was for but i think it was something to do with like i i, I forget my dad was telling me about it but there's a, a very specific reason that rural minnesota the farmers in rural minnesota decided to vote yeah, well, okay. I mean, like uh, the Democratic Party in Minnesota is called the DFL, the Democratic Farmer Labor Party, and it was initially meant to be a uh, a, an, a a union of mm-hmm. union, <laughs> an <laughs> alliance between a labor unions and farmers. Those were the two biggest uh, constituencies. Yeah. In, in so 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 we're against Moses and I are both against many policies that the radical left pushes, but we're also against many policies that the radical right pushes. Both That's are darn da- right. Both are dangerous. <laughs> and as we've done before, we're not afraid to criticize uh, the Re- Republicans. We criticize the GOP when there was a recent scandal. Yes. We criticize them heavily. We There are plenty of things we don't support. You know, the right actually is full of conspiracy theory sometimes. And we've done a whole unwoke video on that, which we'll have linked in the description and on yeah. the screen for you. That's very dangerous. And it's not what we're called to do as Christians. And so not afraid to criticize either. But we are seeing the gap between um, progressives in Christianity just just drastically lengthen. Um, it, it's so hard to, I mean, honestly, I don't know how you could truly be a Christian and vote for the pro-choice uh, movement 
I, I don't see it. I, we could do a whole video or a whole podcast on that specifically. Uh, but truly, even just because of that issue, it's it's the gap is becoming even wider. Um, but I just wanted to make that point because I think I had a, one or two viewers reach out and just say, hey, sometimes it seems like you're partisan. I mean, more often than not, Moses and I personally are going to agree with things that conservatives are doing. Not always, but more more often. And that's because it's more in line with biblical principles. But we're not just going to... Yeah. That that reminds me of another thing that yeah. uh, that I another conversation I had last week. Um, we had a we had a, an event a fundraiser for the Church Ambassador Network, and that's an initiative that Minnesota Family Council does, where we send pastors to uh, the capital, and and we've we've featured that on uh, the, the podcast, podcast with Jeff Evans, yeah, yeah. Uh, Grace's dad, Pastor Jeff Evans, is the head of that, and and so that's an, an initiative that we do where we go and meet with and pray with legislators pray for them and intercede for them and that is something that is 100% nonpartisan everything we do is in fact um, uh, other than no uh, just so you know how the sausage is made here at MFC Minnesota Family Council does have a PAC a political action committee it's called um, a Minnesota Family Council Action Fund mm-hmm. and with that PAC we will endorse candidates at the local level. So, for right. example, we didn't endorse anyone for, for president last last uh, last election, but we will endorse candidates uh, at the at the state and local levels, and and we do that because those not because those candidates are members of a particular party, right. But because those Their candidates values. reflect our values, right. So last last week at this fundraiser, uh, Bob Vanderplatz, who's the, uh, the 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 CEO of the Family Leader, which is our sister organization in, in Iowa. Iowa. Yeah. He, he had a great comment. He was talking about a, a, a conference they had. And at, that, at a conference they had, a pastor uh, said, will the church be transformed by the culture or will the church transform the culture? Mm-hmm. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not saying it, unfortunately, quite as well as he did. Yeah, that's good. But, but like, like that's, that's grace and... Grace and I are of the church party, right. which which doesn't exist. Like we are not interested in advancing the careers of right. politicians. We don't care about party politics. And I heard it said by I think Andy Wilson or maybe Doug Wilson at out in Idaho once that it's not at this point in our culture, it's not enough to just be standing in the stream because you're going to get swept away by the current. You have mm. to be walking upstream. And that's yes. what Moses and I intend to do. And we're not we're not intending to piggyback on certain parties. We're not interested in that. Party politics can get brutal. We're not interested in that, that at all. I hope our actions have shown that um, and will continue to show that uh, as we are unafraid to criticize both parties when they stray from biblical principles. Right. So so we we are interested, first of all, in the furthering of the gospel, mm-hmm. in the church being uh, an effective and winsome and Christ-like voice for change in our culture and not being changed by the culture but transforming it through the gospel. So that's what we're doing, and and part and and for that reason, we care so deeply about these political mm-hmm. issues. Not again for anyone's selfish gain, but because these issues matter, because yeah. lives are on the line, as they are in the abortion debate. Right. So tell us about the Supreme Court taking up the Texas abortion law. Yeah. So about three weeks ago, the Supreme Court said that they would consider a challenge to the Constitution constitutionality, excuse me, wow, of the Texas abortion law. And uh, for viewers that are new and listening or haven't followed up with politics, um, the the Texas abortion law effectively bans all abortions in the state of Texas. It saves over 100 babies every single day, wow. which is such a miracle. Uh, so 
um, after viability, that is, you cannot undergo an abortion. I think rape is a, after uh, after a heartbeat is detected. After a heartbeat is detected. I'm yeah, sorry. Yes, six weeks. Uh, six weeks. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Big difference there. <laughs> um, after the heartbeat is is detected, and so sorry that ties into viability, and that's why the Supreme Court is taking up what well, part of the reason this contributes to the Dobbs v. Jackson case at the yes. Supreme Court level, and they'll be considering this uh, in conjunction with. Uh, viability, and that's that's what I was getting at. But anyways, for three hours um, on November 1st, that was Monday, the Supreme Court sat and heard oral arguments and filings made by both opponents and defenders of the Tex- Texas heartbeat law. And basically, uh, there are two main challenges lodged. And one was by abortion providers, and one was by the U.S. Department of Justice. And Interestingly enough, the Wall Street Journal uh, reported on this, and they said that this that their arguments were not concerning abortion. This wasn't an abortion debate. Rather, both of these different challenges focused focused on the technicalities surrounding the law and the suit uh, the lawsuits challenging it, rather than abortion rights. So what they're challenging is private parties being able to actually sue uh, parties involved with abortion. Now, it must be stated that. Rapists cannot sue women for undergoing an abortion or seeking an abortion, and women themselves cannot be sued. It would be the abortion providers that would be sued. But anyway, so they're challenging whether the private citizens have the right to do that and whether that's constitutional, which is interesting. And I think the Wall Street Journal really did hit it over on, right on the head when they said that the Texas law is currently unconstitutional under the current ruling of Roe versus Wade. Now, let me unpack that for you. I'm not saying that being anti, anti-abortion anti is unconstitutional because everyone is endowed with the right to life under our Constitution, so that is constitutional, but it's incompatible with Roe v. Wade. Roe right. v. Wade is the, is the one that's unconstitutional. So what they're really bringing to the table here is the inconsistency between Roe v. Wade and what's happening in Texas. And so... Um, that's that's just uh, it's good that people are catching on to that because it is very inconsistent and hopefully Dobbs v. Jackson, which that we're going to start hearing arguments for that soon. Um, hopefully that will reconcile the inconsistency there. And uh, one more thing to note is it's interesting that these complaints uh, with regard to the Texas abortion law were brought to the Supreme Court and they kind of bypassed the Texas courts, right. which that's that's interesting. I mean, it's just there's a whole another conversation about, you know, part of the Supreme Court's job is to not hear cases that aren't even worth their time. Right. Not that this case isn't worth their time because it's very important, but it should have been brought to Texas first. So, Moses, do you have anything else to add to that, to shed light on anything specifically there? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, so I think I think that we don't know when the Supreme Court will issue a decision mm-hmm. about the Texas abortion law. However, from what I heard uh, from people who are in the room, um, this did not go well for the Texas law. Right. Um, people are worried this, that Justice Kavanaugh, for example, uh, is worried that, uh, for example, uh, a, a, a blue state could pass a law, like Vermont could pass a law saying that if a gun is used in, the mur- in a murder, someone could sue the store that sold the gun. Mm-hmm. There's something like that under right. this private, this idea that private citizens can, uh, can, can uh, they're not taking justice into their own hands. It's not vigilante justice. They're just... Uh, as private citizens um, bringing suit against someone under our robust legal system, and so I think there's, I think it's a really ingenious challenge to mm-hmm. challenge to uh, the constitutionality of abortion. But I do think that what Grace is saying is correct of, by the Wall Street Journal. This the journal, this is currently unconstitutional. Yep. So the Supreme Court probably has no choice but to overturn the Texas law. 
Now, the Dobbs v. Jackson case, mm-hmm. which uh, will be heard on uh, December 1st, oral arguments, yeah. that is the real show. That mm-hmm. is uh, that is when the Supreme Court will explicitly take up the question Advisory. of whether states can uh, states can regulate abortion, as Grace said, before viability, mm-hmm. which Roe v. Wade defined as 24 weeks. So that is the that is the chance for the Supreme Court to absolutely reconfigure American abortion law. Mm-hmm. And that's why we've talked about it so much on this podcast. Uh, it's something that we should be praying for right now. Yeah. And and throughout we, we will probably have we'll have our arguments as we said beginning of December, probably not a decision until uh, late spring or early uh, early summer of next year. Yeah, uh, and we'll have our general counsel, Renee Carlson, on here to talk yes. more extensively about the Dobbs v. Jackson case. She is brilliant, and we want, we've wanted to have her on for a long time, but we want to have an episode where she just really unpacks what we should be looking for, the possible outcomes, because there are multiple possible outcomes, and just what it would mean for Minnesota, too, preparing for a post-Roe world here in Minnesota, and what we obstacles we would have to overcome in our state specifically, even if we were able to abolish abortion on a national level. So right. definitely stay tuned for that because we would love to have Renee on soon. Yeah, it's really it's really an exciting time because yeah. if Dobbs v. Jackson uh, were successful, then we would be in the in the immediate situation would be that abortion would still be legal in Minnesota. Right. And when we have Renee on, she'll talk more about why that is. And and what we can do about it. But and the, if we can abolish abortion in Minnesota, then we can abolish it anywhere. That's the, that really absolutely, is the catch. Absolutely, absolutely. When once, yeah, it, it is right now. Abortion is legal in two ways: at the federal level and at the state mm-hmm. level. And if we get it so that it's um, so that it's uh, so that life is protected at the federal level, then the next step is the state, and then the focus is on organizations like ours. Yeah, and Moses and I are ready to ready and happy to lead yeah, the charge. Yeah, we are chomping at the bit. Yeah, uh, and I have to say, particularly Grace, this is where her heart is is for women who are victimized by mm-hmm. abortion providers, and and it, it breaks my heart as well. So that's what we're working for. That's what we're working on. I want to say one quick note. Um, some people have asked how Minnesota Family Council gets involved in local elections. So we didn't have any statewide elections this year, but uh, Minnesota Family Council did uh, get involved in several key school board races. And uh, I'll be sharing an update about that later uh, uh, via via our emails. Make sure you're signed up to get our emails. Uh, but we, we saw a couple school district races where we thought, yeah, here's some great candidates that we can mm-hmm. support who are pro-parents' rights, who oppose critical race theory, and who will, be, uh, who will run fiscally responsible schools. So even in an off-year election, Minnesota Family Council is working for and fighting for pro-life, pro-family, uh, pro-religious freedom values, even down to the local school board mm-hmm. level. Grace? Uh, tell us about the, uh, the 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 banquet you were able to attend yeah. recently. So it's one of my goals here while I'm here and living here um, as a college student to just uh, affiliate myself with and just get to know the other pro-life organizations in Minnesota, whether that's pregnancy resource centers or other ministries, just because I think it's so important to know what options are available to women so, um, so that I can quickly give them an answer if they're wondering where they can get a free ultrasound, where they can get other free services. And so I've been touring different pregnancy resource centers and attending their banquets just to support them and show that young people do care about protecting life. And so recently I had the privilege of attending the New Life Family Services Gala, and this is an amazing organization, Moses. Mm-hmm. First of all, they 
they do so much and they really prove that being pro-life is about being pro-all life for all of life, not just being pro-birth, Excellent. which is one of the talking points from progressives. So they have an adoption uh, nonprofit, which is to help people with adoption and uh, that in that in that train. And then they also have an a organization called Conquerors, which is for women struggling from post-abortive trauma. Mm, and that's amazing. Wow. And then they have their Pregnancy Resource Center, which is their biggest chain, of course. And I think they have at least three different locations. One in St. Paul, they're building one in Phillips neighborhood, which oh, is excellent. amazing, which is right where I live, huge minority community, and right where we do need we do need a pregnancy resource center that offers life affirming support and care. Yes. So and they also have one, I think, in Richfield, I believe, uh, at least in those areas. The one in St. Paul is right next to U of M, which is awesome. So anyways, they have all of these different uh, ways of being pro-life. And I attended their banquet, and it was absolutely amazing. They had so many testimonies. They had one testimony from a father that unfortunately struggled with addiction, um, and he wasn't married to his wife. And so they decided to give their child up for adoption because of uh, his instability at the time to be a good father. And... Uh, it was so touching. He was so grateful for the opportunity that they had to choose life um, and that the support that, and care that they received. And thankfully now he's actually been able to turn his life around. And as wow. soon as his child was born, um, ha- uh, hasn't struggled with his addiction. I mean, there's still a struggle, but he hasn't fallen back into it. Mm, and so, so it was so touching. Definitely teared up with that. And then there was also another story from a couple that they were so cute. They were about 70 years old, I think, but they had dated in high school. She had gotten pregnant. Um, they were 17. Back then, abortion was only legal in uh, New York. So when her mother found out, she flew her down to New York by herself to get an abortion, set her on a plane. Oh, jeez. I know. Um, and uh, she, there was a big miscommunication between her and her then boyfriend um, because her mom was really forcing the abortion and he thought that she wanted the abortion as well. And her mom was like, oh, you have to pay for the abortion that the boyfriend had to pay for the abortion. And in reality, the girl didn't want the abortion at all. Neither of them wanted the abortion, but they weren't able to communicate about it because they were young and their pressure from their parents. Mm-hmm. So anyways, he ended up paying for it, which is so sad. Mm-hmm. And when she came back, they immediately, almost immediately broke up because of the trauma and just how it affected her. And they didn't really, they kept in touch via Facebook for years, but they both got married to different people. Their spouses ended up actually dying. They eventually reconnected years and years later, about 10 years ago. So they're about 60 years old at this point Mm -hmm. and still had never recovered from the trauma of losing their child. They had had different children, um, but they had never recovered from that. They were able to reconnect um, and went through Conquerors, which is the post-abortive program that New Life Family Services offers. Wow. And really were able to face those, you know, just all of the trauma that they faced and hurt that they faced and miscommunication um, and really deal with that. I mean, Mm -hmm. of course, it's ongoing. The guilt is, um, but able to just go through it together. And now they're actually engaged to be married, which is the sweetest thing. (laughs) But you really have to hear it from them. I mean, I was just crying so much. It was so sweet and so tender. And they were just so appreciative of New Life Family Services and the work that they do. So one of their major things they're doing is building that Phillips Pregnancy Resource Center, which is amazing, life-saving work. And I definitely, definitely recommend supporting them if you can. I mean, tell your pregnant friends about about them and the work that they do. Uh, All of their services are 100% free, which is amazing. Wow. So free free ultrasounds, which ultrasounds are very expensive, absolutely free, free STD testing, um, free parenting classes for women. So Grace, 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 don't tell them that. 
We want them to keep believing that we're only pro-birth. <laughs> <laughs> so really pro-life for all of life. Yes. And I'm I, telling you the secret now. It, the secret's out. We actually care about everybody through all stages of life. We want them to live a fulfilling, happy life and not be lost in poverty and to find, most importantly, to find Jesus. Yeah. So we absolutely, <laughs> I absolutely love the work that they're doing. And one of my uh, friends who used to attend Bethlehem College and Seminary, where I go to school, is now the office manager for one of the locations. Oh, so cool Excellent. connections there. Um, but God is really working through them. And I was just so grateful to attend. It was actually the same venue where we have our annual banquet, oh, which is cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it was an amazing event. And I'm just, I'm grateful to see what the pro-life movement is doing on the ground uh, with pregnancy resource centers, because it's great. I'm so thankful that Moses and I get to advocate through communication and media for the pro-life movement. It's also awesome to see people that are working hands-on with women in these situations and just get to know their stories and hear from actual nurses and social workers. So very inspiring there. That's wonderful to hear. So ending on a, ending on a positive note, it's been a big week. Um, and so uh, we're so grateful for the, the election results that we've seen and so grateful for organizations right here in the Twin Cities who are advocating for life and who are mm-hmm. helping parents uh, come to terms with having a baby and supporting them and making them confident to be good parents. That's just That just does my heart good to hear that. Yeah. So uh, this has been the Family Beacon with Moses Bratchard, Grace Evans uh, from Minnesota Family Council. So glad you guys could tune in. Remember, we want to help you get the facts so that you can stand for truth. If you're on Apple Podcasts, make sure to give us a five star review that would be so wonderful so that this podcast can uh, be seen by so many other people so we can grow our audience and if you are on youtube make sure to click that bell so that you get notifications whenever we post a new video which we do a couple times a week thank you so much for watching and we will catch you next time thank you so much thanks for listening to or watching this episode of the family beacon podcast from minnesota family council Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you're up to date on life, family, and religious freedom. You can follow us on Instagram at MN Family Council and subscribe to us on YouTube to watch our content. Get the facts, stand for truth. Music